Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Josh Brown, why are we not at Gamescom? Scott Telford, because we are fools. We are <laughs> massive, massive fools who, you know, like wrestling and music <clears throat> too much, really annoyingly. Can Us you believe idiots. it? Unfortunately, we actually um, genuinely, I'm like a little bit good because I've been seeing like everyone's, uh, you know, tweets and photos from the show. And we actually planned on going, right? Yeah, like, that's, we, the, that's the thing. So the, the reason we're starting the show with this, I should also say the entire part of the podcast, the UBP, the UBP. The, the UBP. Um, without Jules Gill, because he's over at Gamescom, but we did get a question because the sh- and in, in this show, we tackle questions, talking points, whatever's going on in people's minds and in the industry. And we had a question from Darren Roberts saying, hopefully not a sore subject, but I was interested by a peek behind the curtain, it doesn't appear that War Culture are covering Gamescom. Was this an invite that wasn't received, or is it something that doesn't fit into the channel structure? It is neither of those things. We just double booked our damn selves. <laughs> um, I didn't realize that AW's Wembley show was this weekend, and you've had a you've had double gigs, double we, gigs, double weekend gigs. We um, it was so annoying because like a few months ago, obviously when they got a date and everyone was kind of like looking forward to it. People mm. were getting in touch saying, you know, we're going to be a Gamescom. You were like, I remember coming in and you were like, Josh, we're doing Gamescom this year. It's yeah. happening. And I was like, hell yeah, we're doing Gamescom this year. <laughs> Let me just consult my calendar. Oh, well, that was it. We did like two days of planning, right? And uh, then I was like, Scott, you're at AW in Wembley. I love that, that I weekend. didn't know either. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, yeah that is where I'm going to be. I'm at a music festival this week. And obviously, I've just got back to London, and it was right in the middle. Yeah. And then it became a case of, well, we might be able to get there for opening night live, but then it's going to be only one day, and it's it going to be worth gross. the trip to get back because it's going to cross over. The, the actual event will cross over with us mm-hmm. going to our respective cities. And it just was one of those annoying double bookings. And I'm sure I'm going to have a great time this weekend when I'm away, <laughs> but like being in the office this week while Gamescom has been on, watching all of my friends and peers there. Yeah. You know, Ash Millman, your friend of mine. Shout out to Ash Millman, shout out to Jules Gill, both yes. doing their duties over on the Gamescom stages. She's just met Sam Lay and it would have been so what? nice to catch up with those... I didn't uh, need to know that. ...those two friends, but uh, instead... I'm the going to Leeds, can you believe it? And I've just been to London, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I'm going to go see the biggest wrestling show in human history, like an absolute freak. But at the same time, yes, shout out to everybody over at Gamescom. The show looks like a really, really good fun. Next time, though, we will plan this stuff in advance. Yes. Because we need to do a show. We're going to do some Gamescom. I really want to get us to the Game Awards. That's my ultimate thing. I want to do something. I either want to do um, the uh, Summer Games Fest that Jeff Keighley puts on, or the Game Awards, one yeah. of the two, because they're two of the big ones, uh, or two of the bigger ones. And I feel like... 
especially for things like the end of the year stuff, you get more announcements, you get more new games being revealed. One of the whole things with this year's Gamescom was Keeley himself saying, like, oh, we don't have new stuff to show, blah, blah, we're just going to do extensions of things that are already out there. And which still led to awesome footage and gameplay stuff like Mortal Kombat. But still, if I'm going to go to a big thing, I want to be blown away. I want Hideo <laughs> Kojima going, hey, I'm doing a new Metal Gear or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah. I want some stuff. But anyway, we'll get to everyone's questions and things they sent in. Um, a question from Willie Araya who says, this is hilarious considering what we just talked about, can we talk about Gamescom cringe or was I the only one who thought bringing Zack Snyder out was E3 level cringeworthy? Um, I didn't think that Snyder was that bad. I mm. think that it's just a, a general thing where unless you're Ed Boon, you, it's very hard to just make it natural on stage. Like Unless you've done this for your whole life, yeah. um, coming out and just being able to advertise a product or a trailer or whatever it is, you can always tell that they have beats to hit. Um, and I think Keeley's like obviously phenomenal at it. He's such a professional at this point, but I think he sometimes jumps ahead of. He knows what they're there to talk about, yeah. um, and he's sort of feeding them too many lines. And like, you've got a trailer, right, or whatever it is. Um, and I think some of that can be a little bit cringe. But I don't know if it's just because I've watched this stuff for like twenty years at this yes. point. But I, it's just part of the course. One on the one hand, I like the cringe. You know, I've right. talked so much <laughs> on this podcast before about how E3, E3 cringe. cringe is its own subgenre in a way and appealing in a non-appealing way. Yes, I like shows that go. A little bit over the top that feel a bit theatrical that feel a little bit wonky did you see the stage invasion I, well yeah I couldn't well, I'll tell you why I saw the stage invasion because I wasn't watching it at the mm. time I was playing bloody Texas Chainsaw Massacre of course you were and then I saw GTA 6 trending online <laughs> and I thought maybe they've announced it I know they almost certainly have not but maybe they have and then I saw the stage invasion thing but yeah uh-huh. like you were saying man like the level of cringe uh, involved in the presentation itself and like public speaking, mm. that's hard. Yeah. Like even if you trained all your life, doing that in a convincing way is difficult. So I always find it endearing when you get developers out there or, you know, directors in the case of yes. Zack Snyder or celebrities and whatnot. And they kind of like fumble their way through it a little bit because I couldn't do it. I couldn't even do a no. fraction <laughs> of what they do on stage. So it's always... Um, well, it's like public speaking like is something to you know to be better at oratory skills is a whole thing you can learn to do. So it's very hard for a dev to go out there and talk about their game and when it's not the thing they do 24-7 or yeah. a celebrity or whatever. It's just, it is a different energy. I think for me, it's like you're either going to get shows like this that um, prioritize the humans on stage or prioritize the devs and you put faces to names, etc., or you get the Nintendo Direct style stuff. And I quite like that Keely is... I think pretty much the only person flying the flag for an in-person E3 style event. Like, um, for as much as Phil Spencer talks about, like, oh, E3 is important to the industry. They don't. Xbox don't have like a big deal thing. Yes, they have their X twenty whatever year it is thing, but it's nowhere near as big as Keeley stuff. And that's a good point. I'd rather have the cringe and the aw- awkwardness and the mm. kind of fumbling around the stage than I would like a CEO or a major executive coming out and just giving us marketing speak Mm. that you can tell they've rehearsed this to their shareholders multiple times and they're using that industry jargon and it sounds so artificial Mm. and sterile. Like to me, that's (laughs) the stuff that makes me cringe more than the actual cringe. Yeah, that's true. I think for me, I like like a bit of both. Like I love when Nintendo are on, when they do their Nintendo Directs and they have the line, they have the announcements in the right, uh, order and the, the live chat's freaking out and it's, oh my God, it's this, this, this. I think they can do a nice solid half hour. But the thing is, we both, because we've grown up with this stuff, have so many E3 memories. And there's something in doing a gameplay reveal or a sequel reveal or whatever with a live audience that you're never going to get with a live stream thing. Yeah. It's just not the same. And so I think those things can go down in history. We've, we've talked about them, we've done lists on them, the videos on them. Um, and so I, I'll take whatever the nearest analog to that is because 
Christ knows it isn't E3 anymore. No. And so I, I'm glad that Keeley's doing some of it. Um, but at the same time, yes, it's cringe. It's just that you need to just kind of accept it. Like, yeah. it's never going to get much better um, just because of the reality of what that thing is. Um, Jack Asbury wrote in and said, UBP, UBP, UBP. Hope Josh enjoyed Jimmy Neutron on Monday. What the? <laughs> I don't even know what that is. <laughs> With a mouthful of water. A, I took a swig of water Josh when Brown. that question came in. He also says, how excited are we <laughs> for Tekken 8 in January? Which fighting game do you think is going to win the heart of the public overall? What's Jimmy Neutron? Jimmy Neutron. Yep. Boy Genius. That's the full title of oh. that. That's what he's called. And I went to see Boy Genius of the weekend. That gotcha. popped me silly. Also, yes. Jimmy Neutron, Boy Genius, the movie, was uh, something I watched before bed every night as a kid. So I kind of know that. I've not seen it in about 20 years. I never I got into Jimmy Neutron. Movie Inside Out. I know there was like a TV show, but yes. I never watched the TV show. I only watched the film. There might have even been more. I don't know. Do you ever get such intense nostalgia that you almost disassociate from the current realm? All the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And just sort of get lost in it like, oh my God, I've, I've lived a whole life. I've not thought about that word, those words, Jimmy Neutron. I've not thought about the visual of Jimmy Neutron with his little hair. Yeah. I've not thought about that character in like 25 years. We talk about this sometimes, right? Yeah. Like the things that you take with you. Sorry for going on a tangent, but- uh, No, the don't. Things, it's the UBP. <laughs> the things you take with you from your childhood mm. and, the, and the things you leave behind. Like I know a lot of people really like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yes. for instance. That was something that I loved as a kid, but left behind. Mm -hmm, Unlike mm -hmm. Dragon Ball, which I think about constantly and took <laughs> with me. And for some reason, even though I've watched not watched it in a long time, Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, just that name, <laughs> lives rent-free in my brain. Right. In a very strange way. So I, instead of like having a rem remembrance for that character, I'm like, nah, he lives with me all the time. Right. In an annoying way. I wish he wouldn't because he's a little <laughs> freak, but you know. <laughs> he's your Sonic. Yeah. He's just the one that he's a little spirit animal. Um, yeah, how excited are we for Tekken 8? Very, but I think, if let's talk about, you know, Tekken 8, Mortal Kombat 1, Street Fighter 6. I love, like this This comes around but once every couple decades where the, like, the big titans of any given genre all release their new installments within quick succession of each other. We thought we were going to get it um, two or three years ago, whatever it was, with um, Halo Infinite, Battlefield 2042, and whatever the Call of Duty of that year was, Vanguard or whatever. Um, still, I, uh, this, I, I'm fighting games like one of my big favorite things in the world. I adore Mortal Kombat so much. The beta was incredible. Um, Street Fighter 6 is like up there as my game of the year with Final Fantasy 16. I'm on the hype train. I'm loving yeah. this. Tekken 8, funnily enough, only because we haven't seen, or I haven't played that much of it, I think will be the bottom of the three, but we're talking about splitting hairs at this point. You know what? It's funny because I text you the other mm. night when the Tekken 8 trailer dropped at Gamescom, the yes. uh, release date trailer, because mm -hmm. when that thing was announced, I thought it looked incredible. Yeah, you know, the Jin versus Kazuya fight. That fight looked amazing. It felt like something that I'd never seen in a fighting game before. Like, mm. obviously, the actual mechanics and the actual one-on-one -on -one fighting itself was very much in the mold of Tekken. Yeah. But the way it looked, like the stage the that they were fighting waves on, and everything, yeah. the weight of it, the cinematic nature of it, I know it was, you know, a revealed trailer and everything, but that promised me something that they haven't quite achieved mm. at least in the at least in the follow-up trailers. You know, I, I've enjoyed everything I've seen, but it's made me realize this is just another Tekken, and that is totally fine. Yeah. But that first trailer got my expectations so high that um, everything else, while it's looked really good, I, they've not matched that height. You it's know? a weird thing. Like for me, like like I love all of them almost equally. I'm split. I am splitting hairs. Like if I'm going to put one at the top at the minute, it'll have to be Street Fighter because that's the one that's out. We've played the most of it. It's so type of 
God damn the MK1 beta was godlike. Like, yeah. I, that, oh my God, that thing's incredible. And for Tekken, though, like, they're changing things up by putting way more weapons in there. And, and, and I think it's like weapon stances or weapon specials or whatever. Uh, Nina has twin pistols. There are like, um, Jack has a bazooka. There are things like that. And it's like, that's kind of like fun. Like, you're adding more ranged moves in there. Like, it's all going to come down to frame data anyway. So, like, I like that stuff. But I think until, um, you know, people get hands on more in the wild and you get more comparisons and whatever, there's just, at the minute, there is such a tightness and a, uh, modernizing of uh, Street Fighter and Mortal Kombat. They're so fast and robust and just frame accurate and everything. And Tekken will be. Um, but it's just that thing where I'm just waiting to see more of it. But I just mm. think that Mortal Kombat and Street Fighter have stepped forward so strongly that Tekken, unless the new stuff with the weapons and whatever really feels makes it feel different, yeah. it's it's in, it's the in the best way possible, just more Tekken, like you right. said. And Tekken 7 was so great. So I'm just like, you don't really need to change that much about it. Well, but, yeah. I see Tekken's up there for me because... Mm. I'm a lapsed Tekken fan. Like okay. I played a little bit of Tekken 7, didn't play any of Tekken 6, played a little bit of Tekken 5. Like no way. I haven't played it in a long, long time. I oh, 5's into... like one of the best ones. Like 5's up there with 3. Really? Dude, hell yeah. It was because I love the art style of 4 so much. I was one of those people who liked the changes that 4 brought yeah, in. Yeah, we've talked about so it. So when it went back to 5 and they kind of like rolled some of those things back. I know that was obviously way more popular with the fan base mm. and obviously people love Tekken 5, but to me, I'd I'd moved on to Mortal Kombat by that point. Right, um, okay. You can still, un- just for the sake of it, you can still sing, you can still unlock those costumes in 567. Right, well, um, yeah, but it's- I know it's more than that. It's Yeah, that's the thing. Like, I, I want to obviously, you know, use those costumes. Mm. I like those costumes a lot, but it's it's a feel, right? Yeah. It's kind of like a like Tekken 4's entire atmosphere and uh, tone I, I like a lot. I know people, again, really think it's Oh, I think or, everyone would agree with you on everything other than them removing the grapples fighting, and just having the yeah. stand switch. Yeah, yeah, yeah like Tekken 4's still great. It's oh, just nice. that they should never have removed the grapples. The point is um, Tekken 8 is hopefully going to be my like re-entry point into the series. Mm. I'm looking forward to it for that and to what you were saying, Mortal Kombat um, 12, Mortal Kombat 1. <laughs> yeah, 1, yeah. Looks incredible. That was another game mm. where I kind of initially wrote it off as more Mortal Kombat. Same. But the previous couple of trailers and the deep dives into the gameplay, I just think it looks you know, incredibly tight. Mm. And I like the idea of that cameo system. I like what they're doing with the world. We talked a little bit about this on the podcast earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. So it's to me, it's Mortal Kombat, then Tekken, and then Street Fight is only last because it's not my thing. You know, I was going to say, are you going to pick up six? Are you not a fan? It's just like aesthetically, it's not my thing. Oh. I've never been a fan of the franchise generally. I'm sure it's a, it's, incredible. Oh, dude, it's I, incredible. I do not doubt that one second, but so much about fighting games, and this might not be the case for you, mm. uh, for me is is about aesthetics. You know, I'm spending so many time, so so much time in those stages playing as those characters mm. that if they're not appealing to me from an aesthetic point of view, I kind of, I am less invested overall. Did you ever play uh, Dragon Ball Fighters? Fighter yes. Z. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that was like a really good, gorgeous looking 2D fighter, like a, or a side a side on fighting game or whatever. Um, yeah, I think for um, another thing with Tekken is that have you seen the new story mode they've rolled out? I have, yeah. That looks a bit naff. It looks a bit naff. I was just like, is this thrown together because you saw Street Fighter Six do it? Like right. it was Street Fighter Six has this incredible online arcade mode where you can just sit down to all these different arcade machines and wait for someone to come up to you, just like a digital version of an arcade. You can also play other uh, past Capcom games, Capcom classics like Final Fight and everything else. Um, and they have like little booths that pop up when they're doing sponsored tie-ins. Like at the minute, it's the TMNT thing. Um, not to accept how much they're charging for those things. It's 15 or 25 pounds a skin or something. Okay. Um, but the layout is really cool. The idea of it is really cool. 
um, in terms of making a digital arcade. I feel like Namco just sort of saw that and just said, we should do one of them. But it just looks like an X, like the old Xbox avatars. It looks like you did an arcade in Xbox Live, um, which had its time. But I remember the Xbox Live in-person arcade. They tried to do the classic games room thing. Yeah. Um, it looks more like that. And so... I, I think there is a full story here as well. There kind of has to be, but then they've got this this weird uh, avatar, super rounded, old school character model type thing for the arcade mode. And I, I thought it just looked a bit flat. I agree. It yeah. looks a bit weird, especially when it came either before or after, certainly around the time as the reveal of Mortal Kombat's new um, mode. Yeah, yeah, it's, remixes... like, it's like this this version of Conquest or whatever you call it. It's yeah, like, yeah, which which I thought like looked a little bit. In more intriguing, mm. at least from what I kind of want out of a more esoteric story mode in, uh-huh. a, in, a, in a fighting game. So, yeah, I'm not necessarily <clears throat> big on what Tekken 8 is bringing to the table in that regard. And I kind of, I don't know what I want with fighting games, man. I'm like, I'm really <laughs> tough to please because I don't like playing online. It scares right. me. It intimidates me. So oh, I When need, you get a win, though. Oh, 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 oh. I've never have in my life. Never <laughs> experienced it. Um, so I need robust <laughs> offline modes. Right. If they don't feel robust enough, it never feels like it's going to justify the price point. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. I'm really picky and I'm really uh, annoying to please. No, I think that the fighting game genre like obviously went away for so long and then Street Fighter 4 kind of used the, the pads and brought it back to life a little bit and then yeah. we've had a nice little run since then. I mean, Tekken was away for like eight years or something yeah. in between six and seven. Um, and it's so one of those things where like, I, it's one of my favorite dramas it always has been, but I'm glad that even regardless of how they land, we're getting all three of them. I think it's worth just celebrating that in uh, in the abstract anyway. Um, a question from George Jackson. Hello, lads. Swords at the ready. What's your co-host's worst gaming take? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. I can, I can jump into this quite easily only yeah. because it's recent. It's your, it's your checkpoint thing. It's, it's defending spaced out bad check, what I would call bad checkpointing. Elaborate, please. You hung it on. We talked about Wanted Dead, which is, I would say is one of the worst games of the year. But you were saying that if they fixed it and they, if they ever did anything with the checkpoints or whatever, you would like it less. You yep. like spaced out checkpoints. Let, let you, me, you seem to quite like masochistic game design. I do. You do. I hate that. Let me elaborate on the Wanted Dead thing specifically. Because yes. you're right. I do like that kind of... Um, approach to checkpointing, especially in horror games, mm. you know. In One to Dead, though, I must admit that the only reason I like it there is because it's so broken, and I find a perverse joy in how broken it is and okay. how difficult it makes the game. And I know that sounds absolutely crazy, but I I, I agree that the <laughs> checkpointing is bad. It's badly designed okay. in that game. Yes. But it's because it's so badly designed that I enjoyed it in Wanted Dead. And that sounds nuts. I'm actually writing an editorial on, on that entire <laughs> process right now. But in other games like Stay Out of the House or the original Resident Evil, mm. I absolutely think that style of checkpointing works in a proper way, in an intentional way, in an yeah. intended way. And yeah, I actually, I like the masochistic thrill of getting kicked back to a old save point in Resident Evil 1 and, you know, having to learn from my mistakes. That is definitely... You, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Some, you somehow don't mind losing time. Like, it's like, oh, like, that checkpoint was 10 minutes ago, 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago. I don't know what your cutoff is, if, if there is one. Like, could you lose hours of game time? I could if it was intentional. It depends. Right, okay. It depends what the game is trying to evoke from me. In the case of Wanted Dead, mm. it's just artificial time wasting. Time wasting. <laughs> it's just, you know, inflated... Inflating the runtime, inflating the difficulty in an unfun way. Yes. Whereas in something like Resident Evil, I find it um, adds way more to the intentional horror. in that. That's yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah, yeah, way more intentional. It adds to the horror. So if if Resi wants to kick me back an hour, in the moment I'm going to be pissed off. In the moment I'm going to think I should have saved. But the kind of annoyance is always going to be at myself. 
not the game, if that makes sense. I'm going to be thinking, I should have been more careful. I should have saved, I suppose. you know? It's, uh, I, definitely, I definitely know, I obviously understand your explanation. I, I'm never going to be okay with just wasting my time. And I totally get it. You know what I mean? Like, I, I understand why that's off-putting to to a lot of people. I just you know? hate, I hate dining at a boss and I've got to rerun it all the way back there. I, I just hate anything that's wasted time. Just put yeah. me back where I was. The idea of deaths in games only comes from putting coins into an arcade. Can we just move on from it? <laughs> I'm being maximal here, you but, are, like, yeah. but I just, I just want to just get to the thing at hand. I, I get I hate it. Bad checkpoint. You, you know what? I, you know what? I'd even agree in some games. You like the old Dark Souls titles. Mm. I don't really think there's anything to be benefited from having to run from one end to the map to the boss room because I'm skipping those enemies anyway. It's yes, already yeah. wasted time. Yep. So why not just spawn me right next to it? So I, I definitely and I've corpse ran so many games across the last ten. Yeah. Obviously since the Souls boom of like 2013 or whatever, yeah. um, I've done that so much across so many games that I'm like, just put me back where the challenge is. Same with platformers and stuff. It's like just put me like Celeste did it perfectly. I know that game is obviously screen based, so it's like you can just put you back where you were. I just I love a game that respects my time. Mm. I love a Super Meat Boy. Um, the Ori games, the like just Celeste, put me back on that gauntlet that I just fell off and let me just do it again, do it again, do it again. And I'll do it as, a million times because I'm right there. But the second you kick me five screens back and I have to do 10 more things to get to that one jump that I might fail, right. F you. Because I, I just, yeah. just want to be right there. It'll always depend for me. You know, there are some, um, like Blasphemous 2 is out mm. now. Mm-hmm. And that game... Is, is a difficult game, it's a challenging game, but it's smart enough to know that there should be a checkpoint right next to the boss you're about to face because Nectar. it's unfun to run through enemies just to get to the challenge, like you were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless, I mean, if you make it optional and then I can choose to go back and maybe I'm leveling or something yeah. based on the game, then that's cool. But there's just, when it when checkpointing becomes what will you put up with or when mm-hmm. difficulty becomes what will you put up with, I don't view that as difficulty. Right. I just view that as endurance or just sort of like, like literally what will you put up with? Yeah. And I just, there's something almost immature about that from a game design point of view. Where it's like, if you've, ever, if you've ever made a level in Mario Maker, you know when you're taking the piss. And right. you know when you're like, I'm just going to see what people are put up with. Yeah. And it's like, when you're doing that to me, like yeah. in a professional, in a paid for product, I'm probably done with you. That's it. I don't know whether it's maybe because we play sometimes slightly different games mm. where, at least when I like checkpointing that as few and far between, like it always seems to have a purpose. Like it might not be serving instant fun, but it's serving an atmosphere. It's serving that, yeah, that, it of, can be great. Yeah, an oppressive tone that the game is trying to convey or that sense of endurance or the sense of risk reward or mm. whatever it is. It has like some element to it. Games that just have bad checkpointing to, like I said, to take the piss or <laughs> to pad out the runtime, then uh, I probably would be with you then. But the yeah. thing is as well, it is, it's worth saying that like one of the only ways to get you into that specific headspace of, oh my God, God, I might lose everything, is to space that thing out and to be quite unfair and to put you in that survival space, whether it is in something like Stay Out of the House or something uh, more widely known, like Alien Isolation or something. Um, and in the moment, you're like, oh my God, I need to survive. And that's what they're trying to conjure. But for me, the bottom just falls out that if I die. Because right. then I have lost everything. And like, I'm just not going to do it all again. You like, know it's you, one of those. I was talking about... Um how I don't like playing online because it's intimidating mm. and I get a lot of anxiety for it, mm-hmm. from it. And you said, you know, what about the thrill of winning? Yeah, in there. I'm in a fighting game. I mean, anything really, but yeah. Well, yeah winning so in a one-on-one instance in fighting games is, is a unique thrill. Yeah, 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 I just mean that like um, level of not putting up with something, but like ultimately persevering and then getting the satisfaction mm. of a win. I get a similar thrill when I know I'm safe in a horror game. Like right. when I finally get that chance to save the relief that I'm hit with 
makes it kind of worthwhile. It yeah, makes that yeah. annoyance, um, it, it balances out that annoyance. It just gives me that kind of roller coaster of emotions mm-hmm. that I, I can really enjoy, you know? Yeah, but I guess it's just, a, I mean, this is a, such a wider tangent, but like the fact most games, like when we talk about Stay Out of the House, which is obviously one of this year's greatest horror games, it just is, it's great. And like you can, you got around that by safe scumming quite a lot, like to restart when you got spotted and stuff, whereas I just kept going. I don't think it's necessarily save scumming in that mm. case because it's not like I'm, um, uh, you know, like well, reloading when you got dice caught, almost. Yeah. yeah, I think the game encourages you to do that because it gives you the chance to save. You have like limited save items mm. in that game. And while there is like a three day limit where you can get caught and then go the day afterwards, like it's always weighing up how much you want to lose. It's like, well, you can continue, mm-hmm. but you've you've lost a day. You're always going to lose something. You're either going to lose progress or you're going to lose in-game time. And I, I yeah. think of that as an option rather than save scumming in an RPG, which, you know, I, I, I might do as well. You know, like in Disco <laughs> Elysium, if I get a bad dice roll, I would consider that save scumming to then go back and try that again. Right, rather right, than right. I do it in XCOM. Like, yeah, 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 rather than like, how it's implemented in Save Out the House, which feels like a more purposeful um, death state. It's definitely like, yeah. game by game, does it feel like you've just been screwed? Does yeah. it feel like you've just been like uh, screwed over? Give me my worst gaming take. Bloody hell. Um, that's I a give good you question. so many where you reply going, that's insane. That's, yeah. that's absolutely nuts. There are probably so many we've talked about already on this podcast. <laughs> I think... Uh, my biggest recently, and the one that really baffled me, uh, we funnily enough talked about this just before we started recording, uh-huh. is playing horror games with the lights on. The big light is This is, this is a learning curve. This was something that I just didn't even think of for when like so long. told me. It wasn't a choice. I remember when you uh, when you said you were going through Visage and you mentioned it back then, like how you were just playing it with the lights on. And I thought, <laughs> you know what, fair enough if that's what gets you through the game. But I, I, wouldn't, I, I can't be in a horror mood. I can't get myself in the zone if I'm like... If if my environment doesn't match, what's no, no, going you're, on the screen, I, that, you know? I'm not even backing lighting. I, that was just something I just hadn't thought of for years. Mm. I just hadn't even thought of that. Didn't realize that most people had switched over to the ambient life, and mm. um, it was just a thing where I was just like, it's nighttime, the light goes on. It wasn't a thing of like, I'll put the corner light on or an ambient light <laughs> on or whatever. Didn't think it through. It was just like I'm just going to play video games, and then 20 years went by yeah. or whatever. Um, just didn't even think about it. So that's not it's not something I stand by any or anything. Like <laughs> since realizing that, um, I've, I'm an ambient boy through and through. Very good. So you it's know. just like there's been progress in that regard. I guess the take that we will ah, okay, I'm, I'm cheating now. Just I'm, go in. I don't want to just go in, but Do it. there are there are two classic takes that I think started our fundamental disagreement <laughs> on some things. Uh, one was um, you disliking L.A. Noir. In, yeah, initially. yeah, yeah. And I think Terrible I think the biggest disagreement I I have with you sometimes is like how much aesthetics matter. Mm. You know, when we talk about remakes and we talk about whether something is eligible for a game of the year because, you know, it's just a remake of a game from back right. in the day. To me, my argument is always going to be that, you know, even if it's the smallest change to the aesthetic, that can fundamentally change how you experience a game, whereas I don't necessarily think you kind no, of... No, I disagree with that, that entirely. Yeah, like, you, like, like the difference between like the crash... Um, aesthetic on the Insane Trilogy versus like the original PS1 mm-hmm. versions. To me, there's there's a gulf in how I experience those games because of that. But I think maybe to you, like those aesthetic changes aren't necessarily on the on important. I think I've definitely mellowed on that since 2017 or whenever the hell that yeah. was. But I but I yeah, I would stand by the overall point from my side, which is just the guts are the same. I know they changed some of the physics for some of the games that like they took Crash 3's physics and put it in Crash One too. 
Um, so you can argue that that's a big enough change or whatever, but I don't think it fundamentally changes it in a point where it makes it a 2023 video game or a 2017 yes. video game there you go, in yeah. the same way that in the air Breath of the Wild, whatever it was for that year. Yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a tale as old as time. <laughs> but like that, that's a fun one though, because that was a whole thing that you can go back and watch our game of the year video from the end of 2017, yeah. where we still did that for the final discussion of the year anyway. Yeah. Um, but you you and Jules voted Crash high enough that it still became like the number four game of the year. Yeah, man. You swines. There's something about it. Like, I know, and I get why people don't a- agree with me or don't think the same way that I do on this, but, you know, for something like The Last of Us Part 1, yeah, that remake was overpriced. They should have yes. probably um, released that for at a, at, a, at a smaller price point. But, like, the graphical overhaul they did to that game, mm. while it's subtle in a lot of ways, mm. to me, completely changed how I experienced certain scenes. It changed my, um, you know, investment in certain uh, emotions that they were trying to conjure and stuff. And it's like, you can just say it's the same game because, mm-hmm. you know, 99% is. But um, every, anytime you change it, something's aesthetic, even the smallest difference is impactful for me, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, it's... it's- it's weird because I'm just thinking about it more where I'm like, I really don't care yeah. about like facial animation and, and yeah. whatever. Like you give me a, a polygonated flat face. If they're telling me something sad, it'll be sad. Like I'm playing through Final Fantasy V right now and most of those scenes, I mean, it's a very like threadbare story. Um, but I'll, I can take 2D text-based storytelling and it'll still hit yeah. in the same way as anything that's more motion captured. Oh, don't get me wrong. I agree. You know, mm-hmm. I've played plenty of games that are text-based that have made me a complete mess. I mean, the opening <laughs> of Firewatch is, you know, yeah, incredible yeah. and that's as minimalist as you can possibly get more or less and mm-hmm. um, I guess I would just say like it doesn't it doesn't make something better if something has more facial animation it just no. makes it different in like I kind of appreciate that difference. No, just same. I agree with you on that. There's definitely like, or there has been an emerging thing, more so across the 2000s, more so across the emergence of 3D and HD and motion capture and everything, saying that old school pixel stuff is done now. It's dead now. Or yeah. we, we're not doing that anymore kind of thing. And I feel like across the 2010s, there was then a resurgence of that and just saying, no, these these are valid art styles. These are valid ways to make video games. and. Um, valid ways to tell stories and everything else. And I think where we are now, everything is as valid as everything else. They're like, oh my God, it's another pixel platformer thing of like 2014 has thankfully kind of just died off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would always vehemently push back against the idea that you need things to be cinematic, to be weighty or adult or whatever. Like you can do those things in any different way, really. Um, but yeah, question from the 237th Gunner of 2023. Who says with Mortal Kombat 1's release on the horizon, is there any fun guest characters you'd like to see in Combat Pack 2? I'd love to see Pennywise from It or Conan the Barbarian slay some fools. I want an AW pack. An AW I want pack. a wrestling pack. Wow. They have John Cena voicing Peacemaker in this. They're so close. Ooh. And, and Mortal, Mortal Kombat, um, sorry, no, it was WWE. One of the WWE games um, did a like a zombified DLC pack thing. I think it was on the mobile game. I'm not a fan of WWE at all, but I remember seeing the screenshots for it. And I'm sure they had like zombified or Mortal Kombat style versions of... Um, WWE wrestlers. Maybe it was in one of the Injustice mobile games or something. Either way, I've seen that begin to cross over. Yeah. I like the idea of taking the AEW superstars and uh, superstars is a WWE word, AEW wrestlers, and uh, Mortal Kombatizing them up. Well, who would you like to see? Well, the, oh my, the House of Black, which you'll not know who what they are. What is that? Yeah. The, House, <laughs> the House of Black are three dudes and one woman um, that form this faction called the House of Black. They're led by this dude called Malachi Black, who used to be solo, and he would always come out. The lights would go off, and then they would only, like, one light would come back on. It would show him in silhouette, and he wears, like, a big, um, like, a goat head. Mm-hmm. And he, saw, he looks like the, like the different bones that the detectives found in True Detective. Right. Like, all just wearing all that kind of garb. And he had this weird dissonant sort of yell, like, screamy music, and the lights would go off, and he would teleport around the ring, 
and then you get in, and over time you form the House of Black, which is like this really like brutal faction. But they also dress dapper AF when they're not <laughs> killing people, and they're just they're extremely stylish. They wear like three piece suits and everything, yeah. And they all come out all as one, and they're yeah three dudes led by Malachi Black, Julia's the woman that's with them as well. She's sort of like their buka, and she sort of points at people that are going to die. <laughs> and it's just they're just the sickest, coolest faction um, in wrestling right now. Even though I only watch one wrestling thing, um, and they would be perfect for a Mortal Kombat thing. If you did Mortal Kombat one, <laughs> you could do cameos where you summon the rest of them in. Yeah, and they would totally look awesome doing fatalities because they'd largely do them anyway. There you go. Oh god, it'd be great. I honestly don't know because I like it when they incorporate the horror characters, mm. but they've kind of done most of the biggies by. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Before we go any further, I want to talk to you about today's sponsor, Masterclass. With the amount of time we spend discussing and analyzing video games on this channel, it's always good to understand exactly how these experiences are put together. And fortunately for me, I can do just that with Masterclass. With Masterclass's streaming service, you can learn from the best to become your best, studying and growing with over 200 plus of the world's leading instructors. For me, I've been having a blast using a class on video game design by The Sims creator Will Wright to find out exactly how game mechanics are designed around player psychology as well as learning how important playtesting is to shipping the titles that you and I both love. But it hasn't stopped there, as I've also been brushing up on my practical filmmaking skills directly from my favourite movie director Martin Scorsese, as well as trying to get back in the cooking game with Roy Choi's amazing course on intuitive cooking. Seriously, my kitchen is a mess, but my belly has never been more grateful. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to courses on your phone, computer, smart TV, or even via audio-only modes. Even better, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and 88% of members feel that the service has made a positive impact on their lives. And to put the cherry on top of that cake, right now, What Culture Gaming listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com forward slash gaming. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash gaming. What's that? You want it one more time? Well, that's the URL masterclass.com forward slash gaming. Right, now I'm going to watch Tony Hawk try to teach me how to ollie properly. 
I'll see you all soon. How oh, you know they've done yeah, like Leatherface, yeah. the Xenomorph, uh, the Terminator, all of that. Bring Predator back, man. Bring Predator back. You know, they've done most of those, so I'm going to have to just do a complete me pick that mm -hmm. they would never, ever do. Fantasy book this thing and mm -hmm, go... Mm -hmm. The Boy Genius, the band. <laughs> get gonna, me, so you're going to pick Boy Genius. Get Spanish me, love songs. Yeah, yeah. Get me Phoebe Bridges, Lucy Put in there. Dacus, get uh, Julian Baker in there, get Mitski in there, <laughs> get all of those in there and the have them like, performing fatalities on the AEW guys. Yeah, let's do that. Let's well, go. there was a whole era when we got the Celebrity Deathmatch games. There's only a couple of them, I think, from MTV. And there was the, the Def Jam games where, like, what if all the rappers had their superpowers based on their kayfabe right, yeah, personalities? Yeah. There's so much more you could do with, like, band fighting and um, where, like, yeah, they could all just embrace their own categories or whatever, <laughs> or their own genres and everything. Um, I would love that stuff. But, yeah, I feel like overall um, it's one of those things where Mortal Kombat has steered so hard into celebrity stuff. I mean, they did across the last sort of couple of games that so far with Mortal Kombat 1... The uh, celebrity stuff, it's like, you know, John Cena's Peacemaker, Homelander's in there, Omni-Man's in there, voiced by J.K. Simmons. Yeah. Um, then they've got Ermac and Quan Chi um, and Shang Tsung's pre-order. For the most part, all the trailers have focused on Mortal Kombat stuff, like the, the building the world out and everything. And I quite like that they've re redressed the balance. Like, I feel like a lot of the talking points around the marketing of MK10, other than the combat kids, were look at the celebrities we've got in. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like they'd stay, they walked that line way better with MK11. Um, you know, they got Christopher Lambert back as Raiden, and yeah. they... Um, dude whose name I always forget, the guy that played Shang Tsung in the movie, um, get all those dudes back in. And then now it's like, okay, we're Mortal Kombat primarily, yeah. and these guys plug into it, and they're cameos, they're not like main people, even though some of them are playable. Um, but yeah, I quite like that. I hope they kind of go crazy with that stuff um, and have fun with it. But yeah, it's uh, it's on them to try and surprise people. But wrestlers are right there. <laughs> they're right there, Josh. Um, question from Pinky, who says, what are our coping strategies for FOMO and impatience? Waiting for Baldur's Gate 3 on PS5 is stressing me out. I'm not even <laughs> able to enjoy other games right now because all I want is the D&D. <laughs> Big love legends, Josh being there. Is, there's no one I'd rather have here than Jules's, in Jules' oh, absence. Thank you very much. What a lovely little sentiment from Pinko. Um, yeah, I uh, just put it out of my mind. I forgot what that mm -hmm. movie line is. Right? Just put it out of your mind. But uh, I just, I can't get psyched about it. Also, there's like 50 other games between now and Baldur's Gate. So yeah. hence why I'm loving Final Fantasy V and Bomb Rush Cyber funk and the cosmic wheel sisterhood and everything else yeah i feel like i'm too busy to get formal mm. not in terms of like that i'm always out of the house or anything just like there's so much media to yes. consume at all times that i'm always <laughs> like i'm always playing catch-up so it's mm. very rare that something comes out and i'm like i need this now and mm -hmm. i'm jealous of everyone else like i'm a little bit jealous of people playing Baldur's gate 3 i wouldn't want to play it on pc that's that, that's my main <laughs> thing i would hate to play it on pc i hate playing stuff on pc yeah but even then when it drops on ps5 i'm gonna have to wait anyway because mm. starfield's out on the same day i've got all of these other games to catch up from so i'm just gonna play them both at the same time you absolutely are yep. you know you're never gonna sleep never no. gonna eat you're gonna do everything yep. um i don't know <laughs> I, I, it's, 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 it's a tough one because normally if I need to play something, if I need to experience mm. it, you know, you can find, you, you can try to find a way, can't you? <laughs> you can, you can experience it secondhand, you know, through listening to people talk about Brothers right, Gate. Right. Mm. You can maybe take a day off work, go see that movie you want to see. But sometimes <laughs> like in the case of Baldur's Gate, where there's like this release date disparity, it's mm -hmm. just, it can be painful to count down the days. I've not had a game in a while where, cause it's always uniquely, it's always unique to video games where like, cause obviously in more passive media or kind of just waiting for like a plot point, a story, I can't wait to see what happens with that crime thriller, what happens with the killer or in MCU, it was like, a I want to know what the next state, the next chapter is in the story. Yeah. In gaming, it's always like I can't wait to control that and play it for myself and whatever. And it's what's making me want to get Immortals of Avium right now because mm. that gameplay looks so smooth. Um, but I haven't really had that in a, in a bigger way in quite some time where I've gone like, oh my god, I can't wait to play that. Um, how is that going to feel to control? Yeah. Because so there's so much homogeneity in terms of control schemes and physics and like general movement styles um, in the upper echelon.
echelons of gaming that like I can mostly look at gameplay and know how it's going to play. Um, and I'm that's it. I mean, it's a separate point, but I'm kind of just like I would love to see something where I have no idea how it's going to play. Yeah. Um, and I'd love to then try and grapple with the controls myself or something. And um, I remember thinking that way, way many moons ago when Enter the Matrix was brand new um, and seeing Niobe do the cartwheel and being like, oh my God, I can't wait to control the slow motion cartwheel myself, yeah. just like in the movie. And I'm like, give me something like that. Not that, but something like that. Some some scene, something where I can't wait to do it myself. I think the last time I caved and bought something because I was just really jealous of everyone was earlier this year with them um, Star Wars Jedi Survivor, oh. where I didn't plan on getting it initially because mm-hmm. of obviously all the performance issues. I heard about how bad it was and I was thinking, you know, it's 70 pounds, it's a lot of money mm. if it's the game's going to be broken and then it ended up caving because <laughs> everyone was playing it and everyone was saying that it was really good if you can get past the mm-hmm. bugs and you can play it you know in a, in a lucky state where you don't encounter the worst of it so that was the last <laughs> time where i just thought man i i know i shouldn't but i'm gonna yeah and i was slagged off modern warfare 3 so much <laughs> and i know i shouldn't but i know i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get that because i want to play uh, warzone and i want to play a multiplayer and i'm loving modern warfare 2 right now they've got their hooks in me and i'm gonna be jealous that's it launch day cod weekend everyone's gonna be playing it i'm gonna be a Maybe a hypocrite by doing it, but uh, the heart wants what the heart wants in some ways, and oh, my heart wants Modern Warfare 3. Yeah, plus like when that. that comes out and you've played it like hands-on and everything, whatever needs to be said about that game, we will you'll be able to say because you've yeah. actually played it and spent the money or whatever if they don't send us the codes and stuff. Um, a question from Harry O'Connor who says, simple question, what do you think will be the worst pirating atrocity you can commit in Starfield? Dark, I know. Also, what kind of playstyle do you commonly like to use in RPGs? Ooh. I don't know how Dark Starfield's going to let you go. Uh, totally. I I feel like something like a Baldur's Gate is more twisted in terms of squishing random creatures to death and then throwing the remains of people or whatever. I I don't normally go for an evil playthrough anyway. Like sometimes I'll go like, I'll be a little bit of a dick. You know, how in Mass Effect it's essentially, it's not good and evil, it's Mm. like good and dickhead, you know? (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, You lent so much into dickhead. I was like, yeah, yeah, good and dickhead. And uh, I like, I like, you know, being a bit of a being a bit of an ass now and again in, in games, but going full evil is something that I, I never usually do. I, I've played Fallout New Vegas countless times, and while I've seen a lot of like the different variations, mm. I've never sided with the Legion, which is the villainous faction, because yes. something in me just... Can't, I can't, He's not a villain. I can't do it. My, yeah. my, uh, my character's certainly not a villain. You know? <laughs> the characters that I'm befriending are too nice to betray and backstab. My thing is always, because um, Mass Effect's the go-to, uh, mine is always just, I'll just play it how I want to. Like, I'll interact with the characters. Do they seem like a bit of a snob? Do they seem like they're really friendly? I'll react to them the way that I wish I could in real life. Yeah. So if it's someone who's being a bit of an a-hole or whatever, then maybe I will be more cutting to them or I will present the evidence that damns them or I will shoot them in the head or whatever the thing is. Um, if I'm allowed to but for the most part i'm playing positively like good i'm playing a good person yeah um, i'm largely just playing a, a kayfabe version of me like an over-the-top right. version yeah. of me um but at the same time i mentioned mass effect because obviously that game started taking off in terms of like oh, do a renegade run do a paragon run um evil and good respectively um to get different trophies and achievements and stuff and that game is one of the only games where playing full evil is like hilarious and right. they wrote it in such a way so many slapstick style um you know altercations happen because you pick the evil 
choice. And especially Mass Effect 2 and 3 when they started adding those like conversation interrupts in. So you can just kick a dude out a window or like punch the journalist in the face because you're sick of answering her questions or whatever it is. Yeah. I love that stuff. I like the the comedic evil. Almost like the Overlord games mm. um, in terms of just like just being cartoonishly Disney evil. Um, and obviously in Fable, totally do the same thing where you grow the horns because you get so evil. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're going to let me do an evil path, I hope you've had fun designing it. Yes, definitely. And, uh, and Mass Effect always nailed that. I think... You know, one of the games that we talk about all the time is Disco Elysium. And yeah. one of the things I love about that is that even if you are trying to be the best person you possibly can be in that game. Which I was. Which you were. So much of the conversation uh, options are defined by dice rolls mm. uh, to the point where, like, you can never be a 100% perfect goody two-shoes in that mm. game. Because you're kind of controlling a nightmare person, in a sense. <laughs> <laughs> who starts off so hungover that he's got amnesia, you know? Dies so, trying to get his tie off the top of the, the ceiling fan yeah. in the opening scene. <laughs> yeah. I died sitting down. Yeah. That was the yeah. first thing that my guy did. So what I um, loved about that, though, is like as someone who usually plays a certain way in RPGs, mm. at least the first time through, I like that that game gave me a narrative reason to experiment because mm. it was essentially saying like, look, you could obviously have so much choice over who your character is, but we've designed this world in a way um, that encourages you to be chaotic, essentially. Mm. So everything <laughs> is going to have a potentially funny or unintended outcome. So have fun with that, you know, mm. be a terrible person, be <laughs> indulging your, the worst side of you, you know, give mm. in to these um, temptations that your character has. And I thought just like giving you that push in the narrative itself, like went a long way in making no play style feel invalid. Like sometimes mm. well, like Mass Effect is a great example. Like you said, you know, playing Renegade and that can mm. be a lot of fun. But sometimes when I was, if I was doing that, I'd think, is this what the game necessarily wants me to do? Mm. Like, is would would Shepard in this situation do that? Like, is there a is there a better way to play? I oh, guess okay. you know that was just for me though. Because I always like that they were just like where in Mass Effect's context, it's like, well, we are who who humanity needs right now, and it's on it's on you to be like, what kind of. Um, what representation do you want to give humanity on the intergalactic stage? And yeah. if you want to be like an a-hole who takes no prisoners and whatever else, then you've committed to that. But you could also be a goody two-shoes or you can be a mix of the two or whatever. And um, But yeah, I mentioned all the Renegade stuff before because I have gone through Mass Effect in those ways. Like right. just if you play a... Um, a a Renegade playthrough, you just default to the bottom option every time, regardless of if it's your friend or anyone, and you're so cutting. Um, and Jennifer Hale's performance as Femshep is, like, phenomenal. Like, she had, she clearly had so much fun um, being, like, the evil character. Um, and it's great. So, yeah, I think I always just do whatever comes naturally in every character interaction, and I'll only go back through... Um, I very rare that I go back through something that's that big. Yeah. But Mass Effect's maybe the only exception to that. Um, but yeah. Question from Stephen Sheehan, who says, are gamers getting lazier? When I was gaming back in the 90s, I had to figure out games for myself, but now I can go on the phone and work out what to do. Is it laziness, or is it because games are now harder slash more complex? Oh. I, I mean, ga games are not harder and more complex now than they... Well, they're not necessarily harder. They're, they're not as cheap as they were. Ah, Game yeah. difficulty back in the day, I mean, you were, you were more... I mean, it depends how far back in the day we're going. Um, but if we go to then we're talking about less um, possibilities for how to create difficulty. Yeah. Like, there's more things where you just fill the screen with projectiles. Like, you play any Mega Man, they're brutal. Yeah. Like, uh, I feel like older games are way cheaper in terms of kicking you back. Memory allocations meant that you couldn't do much with checkpointing. Quick saving didn't exist unless you were on PC or whatever. Um, older games were just were harder by way of being cheap. Um, and I think that, obviously, there's the, the ease of just having a, a portal to all knowledge in your hand at all times now. Um, but I don't necessarily think that's laziness. I think that's potentially a, a, 
um, a question of engagement from the game itself. If it doesn't feel like it's worth your time, then that's kind of the game's fault. That's like if you're if you're just choosing to default every time, it doesn't right. feel like it's worth figuring out yourself. Yeah. Then you can you can argue that case by case that could be the game's fault. That's kind of my gut feeling as well. It's an interesting question because yeah, my initial response would be that in for me, like mm. games back in the day were harder. They're totally. certainly more complex now, like mm-hmm. with the amount of variables, the the scope of a lot of games. But you know, having recently just gone back to a lot of PlayStation Two games in mm. five finding them really piss hard and <laughs> uh, like time wasty in what they expect you to do. I kind of realized like, oh yeah, like we were expected to get through a lot as oh, a dude, kid. Yeah. I went back to uh, X-Men 2 Wolverine's Revenge expecting to have a nice time. Mm. Nightmare game. You know, every time you die, kick back to the start of that section. That, were you not that, loving that the level. intensity of the how long you were in between checkpoints? You know what? That was another one where I just kind of thought like, this is not purposeful. Like there's no reason <laughs> for me to do this entire stealth section again that, um, right. you know, triggers a bunch of enemies if I get caught mm-hmm. um, and then fight the boss on top of that all in one life you know it just felt like really punishing in like a way that games sort of just were mm-hmm. back mm-hmm. then and uh, it's funny because I use walkthroughs a lot more than I did now as a kid anyway but it is just kind of I don't know like like what you were mentioning there where if a game is if the challenge isn't engaging anymore I've got so many games to play that mm-hmm. why would I spend you know hours searching around a poorly designed level perhaps to look for a Switch. I would do that back in the day because I had fewer games to play Mm -hmm. and I had way more time at my hands. Mm -hmm. But now I kind of, I don't have the time for that um, busy work almost. I totally think that as you get older, like, you know, you you take on more responsibilities, you're required and your body's required in more places. It's a weird way to phrase that. But I mean, you've got more commitments, you've got more places to be, whether it be social things or work things or whatever it is. Um, You're so aware of the time you have, your downtime. Um, Whereas it just, when you were younger, you just didn't whether you're a student or you're younger or whatever and you can spend days on something but yeah I just have a, a thing where if the game is not pushing me in any direction hasn't hinted anything at all I'll immediately look something up and mm. um, maybe if it's first time through I won't it's always going to be case by case but like uh, I had this last night because I'm still playing through Final Fantasy 5 like a freak but I'm right at the end of that game and that game kind of ends and then spits you back out in the open world and one of the characters just says like we should find out what's really going on and that's it Right. And I'm just, but what do you mean? I'm just like, <laughs> where in the open world? Where do you want me to go? And I did this immediately. I was like, well, I, you're not going to tell me clearly. Like, you're a game from like 1993. Um, so I immediately had to look up, okay, we actually want to go and fly over here and land here. And that triggers the cutscene. And so I would, I would never have found that. And I'm not going to needle haystack it by just going around every bit of the world. Mm. I get the, if you stumble upon it, uh, satisfaction that you sometimes get in those kind of games. Um, and that's, that happened in other Final Fantasies too. But sometimes if a game gives me nothing, I'm personally never just going to stumble around until I find the game again. Like, um, it's just, I'm going to need something, some direction of, yeah. to some degree. Yeah. Um, that was what made me fall off the original Blasphemous, was just getting lost and then not having any idea how to get there. Yeah, um, Wilds. The Outer Wild totally was just sort of like, oh, well, I guess they give you those four coordinates that you can go to yeah. um, to find the initial survivors, but I got so lost after that. I just, when you use the phrase there, they're like finding the game. I yes. just remember you saying that for yeah. Outer Wilds, yeah. Haven't to this day, haven't got a clue what was <laughs> great about that game. Just no idea. Oh, no that idea. kills me. Yeah, it kills me every time. I don't know why I punish myself with I it. gave you my worst take uh, for the earlier question. Next question from SGFC Greg, who says Gordon Ramsay bursts into your kitchen and threatens to destroy your entire gaming collection and let you cook him your best signature dish. Gordon? <laughs> Ramsey, what are you cooking him and how screwed is your collection? I'm so screwed. I'm so screwed. <laughs> Do the, think, the crisp sandwich from Josh Brown. Hey, I make the worst food you've ever eaten. <laughs> the worst 
Food you do that lovely in little sauce thing that you do. Well, well, that would be the one thing I can make. Yeah. But honestly, right, I can't even make beans on toast, right? <laughs> My girlfriend goes away and she's like, what did you have to eat? And I say, beans on toast. And she says, how was it? I say, it's the worst thing I've ever had. <laughs> she's <laughs> absolutely disgusting. Just, the, just undercooked bread, unflavored beans. It's abysmal, man. How are you, how are you getting that wrong? Ah, sometimes, I don't know, man. I don't know. Like, is your toaster broken? The toaster's nice. The toaster's fine. <laughs> but there's something about the way I, I can't spread butter properly. You know, the, the beans are underdone. Like I said, can't cook them through in a, in a nice way. <laughs> Just bland, bland, bland. And as oh. Gordon Ramsay may say, I don't know. I've never seen Hell's Kitchen. No, I mean, uh, but yeah, the one thing I would make, and the one thing I'm really only okay at uh-huh. is, uh, have you ever seen the chef show? No, I watched that chef that's blowing up on Twitter at the minute where he looks at bad dishes. I don't know what that is, He's but He's a side-by-side really side man. Well, the chef show is um, a Netflix cooking show right. starring John Favreau and a chef called Roy Choi. Okay. Um, and they made in one episode what they described as a, I think it's a $4 pasta sauce that tastes right, okay. as good as a $25 pasta sauce. And I remember seeing them cook it thinking, I can do that. So over... The past three years, I've been perfecting this pasta sauce that takes about three hours to cook. Sweet very Jesus. garlicky, has like a mushroom base. Right. And it's the one thing I can do semi-okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I only make it once in a blue moon, get a nice big Tupperware box full of it to have on more dishes throughout the mm. week. It's tangy. It's 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 nice. It's the one thing he'd hate it, but I mean, it's the only thing I can make. Well, I mean, I, I think like he he's got to stand there for three hours, so he's going to appreciate whatever you give him. Well, I know, but like most of it is just like simmering on the hub. Like mm. it's not active cooking, you know. Well, like, as long as he puts your games down, you start you start wrecking your PSVR. Um, I think I'd have to I'd have to win him over with one of my extremely long coffee brews because I, I got massively into coffee across the pandemic. I was always like a coffee drinker, but it was one of those things during the the panny where I was like, I want to make the proper stuff. Yeah, I want to either brew through through a cafetiere. I want to do. I've got the AeroPress. I've got the drip through. I've got all these different ways of making coffee. I love it. I love coffee stuff so much. I don't know if you can class a very nice cuppa as a signature dish, but I haven't got a whole lot else to give him. Well, so. what would you make, like, you know, what would it accompany if you had to, if you had to cook him something? Toasty. Little a, little toasty sandwich. What kind? Uh, chorizo nice. and cheese. Nice. Some sort of feta. I was yeah. like a feta and chorizo toasty next to one of my best brews. Yeah. Some sort of cloud roasted beans. That's a nice breakfast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cloud roasted beans with, uh, I don't know, put through like a, like put it through the grinder, put it through the cafetiere, and then uh, and go from there. Froth it, froth the milk. Nice, yes. nice thick, uh, full milk. Also, I've got some, I've got those stencils. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. video game stencils. I've got those top. latte art stencils. So you get a little Mario topper. Yeah. And so I'll be like, if he's still going to kill me after that, I mean, it's fine. What would the game, like, he's coming in, he's threatening your game collection. Mm. What's like the. What not touch. Yeah, what's the one you'd be most gutted to lose? It's more my figures. Don't touch my figures. Yeah. Like, even when I have a child, don't touch my figures. <laughs> I just just leave them alone. I don't know. I just The reason I haven't got a dog or a cat or anything is because they'll touch the figures. They will. And I just I just stay away from it. So I just, yeah, he, if he if he goes anywhere near my figures, he will. I, I'm, I'm, I'll kill him. He'll smother them in, like, cheese. Oh, yeah, it was weird raw fingers. Yeah. I saw, I don't know, I uh, my pride of place is the Witcher 3 statue. That was, like, a full, yeah. that was, like, 200 pounds or something stupid. Um, so just, just leave them alone. I've got more combat figures. I've got a million figures, but I love them all, and they're mine. I'm, I'm, an, eight, I'm an eight-year-old child. They're mine. Leave me, leave me alone. Just, they're not to be played with. No, no, no. Don't play with them. Don't repose them, for the love of God. I've got them in the right position. I don't want you ever to touch them again. Next question, potentially final question, from Matthew McGowan, who says, what is one game that has improved by playing on the easiest difficulty setting and one game that's improved by playing on the most difficult setting? Oh. 
Uncharted can, is the go-to for easier difficulty. Yes. I think. Oh God, hell yeah! All the, all the auto aiming stuff. Yeah. I'm in Uncharted Four. Even though I, I never actually did any of this, I've seen the footage of it. I know how much it changes. It, it adds on. It does auto headshot and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's I've never used. Oh, I think I used it for the trophy, the right. auto headshot. I kind of just meant to the point where you're not getting killed for doing the acrobatics. Oh. Well, the, but the thing is, I like the argument that um, for an Uncharted's case, it's more so. I think they're in the in the newer Nathan Drake collection, but it is in Uncharted Four and Lost Legacy. You can turn on auto aim, so mm. you know, all you're doing is left trigger then right trigger um, to just sort of like, and it gives you the you're the swashbuckling expert gunshot Hollywood dude who's taking on all the bad guys as you're clinging onto the rope or whatever it is in something like a car chase, and it just lets you have that level of escapism more. Yeah, and it's like, look, I can't even be touched as opposed to like, yeah, when you play on regular difficulty and the screen goes black and white because you're getting peppered from stuff. Um, I like the idea that you can get around that by just auto-aiming your way through it. That's cool. Um, so I've seen that be played, and it does seem very, very smooth, and it almost feels like they could have just designed the game like that anyway, but it would have removed all the uh, difficulty and stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Uncharted's a great shout for that. My one for a game that's better on the difficult, the most difficult setting is Final Fantasy VII Remake. Nice. Um, that game on hard is a different game. Like, just the way that it manages materia per chapter means that you have to pick your spells that across a given chapter, um, and just it's just way harder, but in a, in a very good, methodical way. Um, in a way that the original playthrough just isn't at all. Um, and it means that you're just planning boss fights in a different way. You're rationing when to heal. Like yeah. it's just it's just it's just so much better. Like it's way like classic Final Fantasy. And it's just it makes you think your way through fights in a way that the original doesn't. I love you telling me about that way back in the day, three mm. years ago, when you were going through it again for that second run and yeah. you were playing it on hard and you were just like, This is a different thing. It's so thing. much better. Yeah, it's a completely different Which piece. is what everyone says about Final Fantasy 16's new game plus, but right. that's not true. Like I've I've done a few hours of 16 plus because I'll get the platinum because <clears throat> I'm only two trophies off that anyway. Um, it's not. They, they change enemy placement around. They mm. make it so the enemies take longer to kill, but it's it's not the same. Like yeah. you're not you're not thinking in a Final Fantasy mindset. Like right, it's, it's okay. just not the same. Whereas Final Fantasy VII Remake's hard mode is really really good. I have two for the most mm. uh, difficulty that uh, improves a game. Actually, if you'll yes. permit me, one is um, the Last of Us, and by extension, the Last of Us Part Two. Mm -hmm. Like playing that. Um, game on anything above normal. Uh, grounded is maybe a little bit too difficult, mm. but the one below Grounded, that turns off listen mode. Again, similarly kind of transforms the game for mm -hmm. me. Like I've never, I think I've mentioned before on a podcast, I've yes. never played that original game with listen mode because I find it so immersive <laughs> to not do that and uh -huh. have to wear, you know, put a turn the volume up or listen listen to headphones and kind of have to understand where enemies are positioned based on their sounds rather mm. than just seeing them through walls. And the balance that game gets when you kind of put the difficulty up between your resource management makes um, just melee way more important as well. Mm. So you kind of have that interplay between firing off your last shot to injure someone, running in with a punch or a brick or whatever. It gives the game that kind of improvisational quality that mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. makes it just one of the best feeling games to play, especially the second one where you feel like you're always in the moment. Yes. Like your best laid plans are always going to go wrong <laughs> and then you have to improvise a way out. The other one, it was actually this year with Resident Evil 4 Remake, playing that on hardcore difficulty, mm. I just found absolutely perfect. Again, it just got the balance mm. right for me between that um, sense of being as prepared as I can, but always knowing that I am a couple of wrong moves from expending all of my ammo. Mm -hmm. I thought the ammo, ammo management system in that was even better than in the original, like the scarcity of it, the mm -hmm. intensity that that brought. Mm -hmm. The damage that you were doing to enemies just felt like really nicely balanced, and it gave me that. It made it more of a survival horror game than I thought Resident Evil 4 ever was, and I loved mm -hmm. that. 
I've got like a weird, sick freak love of uh, ammo conservation as a mechanic. Um, it's one of those things we were talking about the bad checkpoint stuff before, or, or spaced out checkpoints putting you in a certain headspace. Knowing you're down to your last couple of bullets, yeah. um, the bottom can easily fall out of that because you could just miss the shot. But if if that last bullet does get you through, that's a, a great feeling. Like yeah. I love that because they they geared them the first evil within towards that. And I remember a lot of those fights. They just give you just enough ammo to just get through those fights, and it felt great. Um, and I did that in the Resident Evil Four remake as well. There's a room where you come against those two guys that charge at you with the big blade arms. Yes. Um, and you get like just enough ammo to get through that or to shoot like parts of the environment to uh, kite them away and do different tactics and stuff. There's a way to design combat encounters around that that can be so, so satisfying. Absolutely. Um, but like I said, the, it's very easy for the bottom to fall out of that because if you just miss your shots, you're just screwed. Well, it thankfully never has for me. Same. Just because I think like, yeah, if you miss your shots, e e evil within, absolutely agree. If you miss your shots in that game, mm. you are screwed. <laughs> for me, The Last of Us and... Resident Evil 4 balance it so that you always seem to have an option. Like mm -hmm. in The Last of Us, you always have the melee attacks. And uh, in Resident Evil, there's all the game always gives you something. Mm -hmm. You know, if you manage to kill an enemy, maybe with a stealth kill, for instance, like it'll give you just enough ammo to yeah. get back into the fight. Mm -hmm. Or it might give you like an item or, or a knife you can pick up to then parry to just give you enough. And I, I love that. Fight. Like it's, it's very smart about the way mm -hmm. it handles it. It'll always leave you thinking you're going to run out, but... At least in my experience, in those two games, never actually let you run out mm. in the way that Evil Within is just like, nope, you're screwed. Well, that's the thing, and I love being right on the line of like, it's like, I'm going to smash this part, and then I'm going to duck out the way of the dude. I'm loading the gun as I come back up, and I fire the shots off, and I win like the fight or whatever. It's like, those little clutch moments can be great. Um, there's something I was going to say before, which I've just remembered now, like half an hour later, when we were talking about potential people to be added to Mortal Kombat. I bet they do John Wick. Oh, that would be cool. I bet they finally... Because you mentioned Hollywood people who haven't... Who, who have they not done yet? Yeah. Like, they haven't done, like, John McClane or something. But it's like, what are you going to do with him, really? Whereas, like, John Wick could do all sorts of crazy gun cutter, like, kneecapping, headlock, takedown finishes. Go one further. Go on. Get me a full Keanu Reeves pack. Get Neo in there. Why can't oh. Neo would do some insane fatalities? His fighting style would be incredible. He'd look sick. Oh, dude. Yeah, Neo's my shout, yeah. Keanu Reeves would be so up for voicing that as well. Hell yeah, he would. That that feels so much like it could happen. We're oh, calling that right now. Oh, just get a full Matrix pack in yeah, there. Yeah, 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 get me yeah, Neo, yeah. get me Trinity, get me Morpheus, get me Asian <laughs> Smith, get me Hugo <laughs> Weaving's Asian Smith. Do it, a, a Hugo, yeah, either Hugo Weaving, just do Hugo Weaving and Neo. You can easily get um, Hugo Weaving and uh, Keanu Reeves to reprise both those roles. Yeah. I would totally take um, Trinity doing that weird backwards kick, which yes. he sends the dude's head flying off. Yeah. Oh my God, Mortal Kombat's just the best thing, isn't it? Do it. It's just really a good. It's just mate. a good, it's good really time. Good. Speaking of a good, good time, this has been the Entitled Banner Podcast, the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. UBP. I've been Scott Tilford. That's been Josh Brown. Always a pleasure, Scott Tilford. <laughs> Always a pleasure to be heard by all of you, and we'll catch you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.